cardboard signs. I'm sure you've seen one of them before. Oftentimes, if we're sitting at a stoplight, we roll up and, and we, we stop and we see someone holding one, walking back and forth. Often it's pretty hard for us to ignore. But do we? Should we? I mean, is what the sign says even true? How do we know? What do we do about it? Or there's a person at your school on the outside, right? You know this person exists. They're the, the people who don't necessarily look right or talk right or act right. They don't know how to make friends very well, and so they're oftentimes maybe alone or on the outside of the circle. Is, that, is it my job to talk to that person? Is it my job to care? Well, why don't we talk about coffee? Is it fair trade? Does the person who poured their time and energy into growing these coffee beans get a fair wage for what they've done? What is a fair wage anyway? Is it okay for me to buy these shoes? To wear this or that? Unfortunately, this is just the start, isn't it? We could go on for hours and hours about all the complex issues of injustice we face every single day. Our world is so full of these extremely confusing, not to mention exhausting, things to think about. That, that the more we dig in, the more we find, the more we uncover. The more we keep digging, the more we find, the more we uncover. So where does this leave us? Do we put the shovel in the ground? How do we even begin to talk about this idea of justice? The series that we're in during Advent is centered around six great traditions, six great streams, if you, if you would, of the Christian faith. We've talked about the holiness stream. We would have talked about the contemplative stream. I'm still hoping to record that sermon that we missed on the first Sunday of Advent for you all. But we've been working through these different streams of the Christian faith, recognizing that there's different dimensions to the life that Christ calls us into. And if, let's say, for example, the contemplative stream, the prayer-filled stream, is more calm, maybe you can hear that waterfall right over here. It's nice. It's peaceful. If that's maybe the prayer-filled stream, then the, the social justice stream might be like a mountain stream in springtime where there is a abundance of fast-flowing water that can be incredibly intense. Right? Think about John calling the people to repentance, to a life transformed by their, by their sin and brokenness, by what God calls them into. Justice means to treat people the way they should be treated. Justice, justice in the Christian sense says that an important part of the way that we live is to identify the vulnerable, identify the weak, identify the poor in our culture, in our society, and do our best to give them a leg up. Keller puts it like this. He says, the Bible is a book devoted to justice from first to last. And the Bible gives us not just a naked call to care about justice, 
but gives everything we need, motivation, guidance, inner joy, and power to actually live a just life. And so if you feel a little bit overwhelmed, unsure of where to begin, we can do this together. We can look at what the Bible says. We can be changed by the grace of Christ, which makes us just. So we'll look at three things this morning. The call to justice, the vision for justice, and the power to do justice. So first, the call to justice. And this, we find John the Baptist doing a great job of calling us to see justice. This is a part of the Christmas story that goes largely untold. Right, when was the last time you, you thought of you know, John the Baptist in your nativity scene? Way out in the wilderness wearing animal skin and yelling at people. Right? This is not, he's not a very popular person around this time. But John is a special work of God, isn't he? It's a miraculous birth. Just like Jesus, not, not as miraculous, not, not the Messiah, right? not the Son of God, not fully God, fully human, but nevertheless, he is a miracle. And he preaches a baptism of repentance. And as people are going out to be baptized by him, he calls them out uh, in, in a very, very um, profound way. He says, you brood of vipers. When was the last time your parents used that one on you, Right? Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't, don't even start with the whole Abraham thing, right? Don't say that we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that even out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. What is, what is John talking about here? Well, uh, a pastor, um, Eugene Peterson, who wrote a paraphrased version of the Bible, and he simplifies this passage, I think, quite well for us so that we can get a little bit more of what John's going after here. And he says, when the crowds came out for baptism, because it was the popular thing to do. So right away, this is not necessarily a genuine repentance. This is a, a, out of the, being a, a popular thing to do. John exploded. Brood of snakes. What do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snakeskin is going to deflect God's judgment? It's your life that must change, not your skin. And don't think you can pull rank by claiming Abraham as father. Being children of Abraham is neither here nor there. Children of Abraham are a dime a dozen. God can make children from these stones if he wants. What counts is your life. Is it green? Is it blossoming? And the people responded to this. And they said to John, what do we do? How do we respond? Tell us. And what does John say? There's three different groups of people that, are, that John uh, is baptizing. One is the crowds. The other is the tax collectors. And the other is the soldiers. Interesting that these three groups are, are mentioned here. But what, what John does is he gives a response that's different to each one of them. To the crowds, he says, you know, respond by giving away the things that you have. Tunic, food. To a tax collector, he tells them, do your job honestly. Right? Use, use your position as a tax collector to collect taxes no more and no less. They would often draw extra income for themselves. He says, be content with with your wage. And then to the soldier, the soldiers were oftentimes encouraged to use their authority 
as being soldiers of carrying weapons as a way to intimidate people and to get their own way and to put themselves ahead in life. And Judge says, you have to stop it. You have to be faithful to the authority that you've been given. Treat people equally, all people. John is likening baptism with social justice. The call to justice is synonymous with the call to baptism in the Christian life. Richard Foster puts it like this. He says, social justice is where the central issue in the holiness tradition, what we talked about last week, which is love, loving God, devoting our lives to him. Social justice is when love meets the road, when it's put to action. So what's a vision for justice? What does the Bible mean when it talks about justice? Well, the idea is deeply ingrained into the foundations of the Bible. And a passage that uh, may be well known to some of us that kind of um, encompasses all of these things is Micah 6, verse 8. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. And walking humbly with God is to know God. Right? When, the, when the Old Testament authors talk about walking with God, I often think that they have images of, of Eden in their mind. When Adam and Eve would walk with God, they were in, in perfect relationship with him. Right? And so how do we do this? How do we live in, in perfect relationship and harmony with God? Well, the, the, in Micah it says to do justice and love mercy. And these are oftentimes thought of by us as two separate things, but, but, but they're not. They, they, they make up kind of one unit. And we'll talk about that because there's two different uh, words here that the Bible uses that, that make up uh, it, the idea of justice. So the first word, do justice, is the word mishpat. It's a Hebrew word, and it describes the act of responding to an injustice that you see. This is uh, you know, either punishing people for uh, contributing to injustice, or it's protecting those who find themselves caught in a system of injustice. The Bible often talks about widows, orphans, children, as those in their culture that are often caught up in these systems. And caring for people, right? Actually um, working to get them out of the system, giving them a leg up, right? This is what the Bible is talking about with, with mishpat, which is acts of justice. It's always talked about as either punishing, protecting, or caring for those who are oppressed or who, the, who, are, who are part of an unjust system. This is the $5 bill that you give to the man sitting outside Jackson Square. It's mishpat. Or the conversation that you intentionally have with someone at your school or workplace that seems to be on the fringes, just is longing for a connection or a place to belong. It's mishpat. Or punishment that we give to people who treat others or cheat others out of money or take advantage. It's mishpat. This is something we do often. I imagine you can think of even an instance this week of something that you did, a way that you enacted a mishpat. I bet you can think of that. 
But then what's the connection to mercy? Well, mercy is the second word that we're going to look at. And it's the, the Hebrew word chesed. And it talks about um, the motivation for why you would want to enact mishpat. So think about the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, for example. This is a great example uh, of mercy, right? So when, when Jesus is telling this story, he's talking about a man who was beat up by robbers and left basically dead on the side of the road, and people were passing by. But then the Samaritan came by, and the text says that when the Samaritan saw the man, he had mercy upon him. He was moved by mercy, by hesed, by something deep in his heart that said, this is wrong, and I need to do something about it. This is how the Bible calls us to, to respond to injustices, is to let ourselves ache with pain for those people who are being oppressed, who are being pushed out on the margins. This is where mishpat begins. Walking with God, according to Micah 6.8, is by connecting these two things together, being moved by mercy and doing mishpat, enacting justice into the situation. But there's one last word, and it's not in the Micah passage, but one last word that the Old Testament uses to talk about uh, social justice. And that is the word tzedakah, which actually means righteousness, living in a right relationship with someone or something. And we often talk about this as righteousness and in, in how we live in response to God. We, want to, we desire to walk in his way to be in a right relationship with him, but it also applies to other people that we come in contact with. For example, this week, um, Austin had his 15-month vaccinations. And uh, what, what is a vaccination? Well, a vaccination is an antidote against disease, right? If you don't get them, then, then you have to be a lot more careful about how you're exposed to different things because you could catch, catch a virus. And and get sick. Um, righteousness is the antidote to needing to do justice. Because if we were to live in right relationship with God and with each other, that would make doing justice irrelevant. Right? It, would be, it would be harmony. With God. It would be what the Bible calls shalom, which is the peace of God, which was in the Garden of Eden. Right? When there was no need for anyone to enact justice in Eden because it was, it was perfect. There was shalom. There was peace until Adam and Eve ate the fruit, right? But the reason why we care about this is because God cares about this. Justice, social justice, is so so deeply ingrained in the character of God that the more we, we learn about God, the more we learn about social justice. For example, Psalm 33 verse 5 says this, the Lord loves social justice, which is when we put those two mishpat and sadaqah together, those two words make up social justice. The Lord loves social justice, and the earth is full of his unfailing love, his chesed. 
This is also the vision that Jesus gives us. I mentioned it already, but the Good Samaritan parable. What strikes Jesus into this parable is actually somebody asking him, how do I live out righteousness? How do I love God and love my neighbor? How do I do that well? Jesus tells them, you, you uh, respond to out of hesed, right? And do mishpat, do justice. You see everyone as your neighbor and you respond to their needs. That's what it means to love your neighbor. And loving God, loving your neighbor is an extension of loving God. So from start to finish, the Bible gives us a vision for justice that is compelling. Right? It, it, it challenges us, though, deeply. It's, it's difficult. It's hard because it, it asks us a lot. It asks us to do a lot. And so where do we get the power to do this? How do we get the power to do justice like this? Because one of the struggles that we see is that, you know, we can have all these wonderful high and lofty intentions to do justice. And even when our intentions are good and pure, we can find ourselves sometimes even contributing to injustice. So one example of this is, is, is short-term mission trips. Right? I think oftentimes a lot of people go on trips to wherever they are to, to do justice, to, to, to make right what is wrong. And there is that that happens on these missions, on short-term missions trips. But, but there's books and there's studies and there's articles that actually talk about the fact that it's not so easy. It's not, it's not a simple system. In fact, sometimes when we go f travel from one place to another, we can actually, without realizing it, contribute to injustice. Partly because we're not educated fully. Partly because we don't understand different, how different cultures work together all the time. And short-term mission trips, is, I'm not against them per se. But I think they give us a picture of even, even when we try to be motivated and compelled by the biblical vision for justice, our response to that isn't always to, 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 to our response to that isn't always pure in how, in how it, I'm having a hard time communicating this. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say here. But because we just find ourselves caught up in these systems of injustice and we just can't seem to get ourselves out. Even when we respond to God's call in the scriptures. We can't Micah 6.8 on our own. And this is why Jesus, I think, in his great sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, right off the bat, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what, what Jesus is saying is actually that step one to being a Christian is to admit our spiritual poverty is to get low and say that I can't get myself out of this on my own. That I am caught in, in my own brokenness and in, in a world of brokenness that I can't fix. That's step one. And if we try to do it ourselves, if we try to get ourselves out of it and earn our way to heaven, It'll be like climbing out of quicksand. Right? You, you try to climb, and you just keep going down. 
You can't ever get a foothold. But where's the good news then? John talks about the good news in this passage where he says um, that he isn't the Messiah. His message of repentance is not the full gospel. He says there's, there's more good news coming after this. There's more good news, and we can take heart in that. What is the good news? And the good news is that the Messiah was not just some great leader, is not just some great teacher, is not someone who's just going to continue to baptize and teach. The Messiah is someone who saves. Prophet Isaiah is quoted in this passage. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough way is smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. That is justice language right there. And Jesus came to do justice. Right? We, we think about it. Everywhere he went, he did justice. He, he invited people in who were on the margins. Right? He talked with people he had no business talking to. The Samaritan woman at the well, one example. He touched and healed lepers, people who were labeled as unclean, and actually brought out of the city and said, you go live over there. Jesus touched them, talked with them, healed them. He gave sight to the blind. On the flip side, he also called Matthew, as a a tax collector, to be a disciple, and Zacchaeus calling them to say, you know, this is not, your, your job as a tax collector is and, and earning money and, and getting ahead in life is not the way that you're going to be fully happy. It's by following me, by following me. The gospel says that, that Jesus Christ took on the in, unjust systems in our, in our world. He treated disease. He did all that and found himself on a cross where he took upon himself not just the world that he found himself, he took upon himself the judgment of God upon us. As people who contribute to an to a, to a unjust system. And, and Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, the ultimate example of God's working in the world was Jesus Christ. The only founder of a major religion who died in disgrace. Not surrounded by all his loving disciples, but abandoned by everyone he cared about, including his father. He was the victim of a miscarriage of justice, and he died oppressed and helpless. Jesus Christ's salvation comes to us through his poverty, through his rejection and his weakness. And Christians are not saved by summoning up their strength and accomplishing great deeds, but by admitting their weakness and need for a savior. Or, in the words of the Apostle Paul, for it's by grace that we know the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for our sake, for your sake, he became poor so that we could become rich. In Christ, we are, we have an identity. As more wealthy, as more secure than we could ever imagine, and he's not talking about physical wealth. He's talking about spiritual wealth. We are, we are invited into the presence of the Holy God. Our, 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 our slate is clean. 
Christ has taken upon himself the judgment of God that we deserve so we, we can come to God freely. That's, that's our identity as his children. It's not something that we can lose. We are made right with God. That's the good news. And so the gospel, in the gospel, justice isn't something that we need to do to get into heaven. It's, but, but it's how we can respond to God's grace in our lives. And it's all based on our sense of poverty. And what do you believe about poverty? When you, say, when you think of poverty, do you think of spiritual poverty? Do you think of um, financial poverty? Social poverty? Or is it all just one? Where we find ourselves on a level playing field, recognizing that we can go nowhere without Jesus Christ taking upon himself, himself our spiritual poverty so that we could be made rich. And so how do we respond to this amazing work of grace? Well, there's a Scottish preacher that talked about this passage in Acts that, that says it's better to give than to receive. And he says this about it. He says, Now, dear Christians, some of you may pray day and night to be branches of the true vine. You pray to be made all over in the image of Christ. If so, you must be like him in your giving. Though he was rich, he made himself poor. Objection number one. My money is my own. Answer. Christ might have said, my blood is my own. My life is my own. Then where should you have been? Objection number two. The poor are undeserving. Christ might have said, they are wicked rebels. Shall I lay down my life for these? I will give to the good angels, but no, he left the 99 and came after you, the lost. He gave his blood for the undeserving. Objection number three, the poor may abuse it. Answer, Christ might have said the same, but with far greater truth. Christ knew that thousands would trample his blood under their feet, that most would despise it, that many would make an excuse for sinning more, yet he gave his own blood. The preacher concludes with this. He says, my dear Christians, if you would like, if you would be like Christ, give much, give often, give freely to the vile and poor, to the thankless, to the undeserving. Christ is glorious and happy, and so will you be. It's not your money I want, but it's your happiness. Remember Jesus' own words, it's better to give than to receive. How do we respond to the grace of Christ? We give, we give, give. Because we have received. So what are some pointers along the way? First of all, you're never too old and you're never too young to care about justice. Secondly, go to God. Walk with him. If Micah 6.8 is right, then, then walking with God is central to knowing more and living out justice. So ask yourself the question, how do I pray? How do I read scripture? 
How do I spend time with God so that he starts to rub off on me and I start to smell like him and taste like him to other people? Number three, there are people who are just wired to care about this stuff, right? We all know those people. Pay attention to them. Learn from them. Ask them questions about why they do what they do, what books they've been reading. Fourth is talk about this. Talk about these complex systems of injustice that we find ourselves caught in. Talk about how we can step in as Christians to enact mishpats into some of these places. With Christian friends, talk about it. With spouse, with a spouse, talk about it. With colleagues, talk about it. With classmates, talk about it. And don't lose hope. Jesus is coming. And he will make all things new. And we can look forward to a place that we will all be invited into that will need no mishpats. Because there is the peace of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message. We hear today the call to justice, the vision for justice, and the power to do justice. Lord, we can do nothing without your Holy Spirit to give us clear eyes to let us see more beautifully your grace in Jesus. Lord, we need your help also to actually do justice, to respond in clear ways rather than in ways that hurt. Lord, help us to build good institutions of justice that contribute to the common good for all people. Help us to look to you, that you were rich but made yourself poor for us. We thank you. In Jesus, we pray. Amen.